But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. The Apostle Paul, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. The Apostle Paul in that particular text focused in on something that I'm not sure, I am not sure that any of us fully understand the full impact of. And that is the fact that everything that Jesus Christ came to this earth to do, and therefore everything that we do on this earth as well should be done with in mind, is that one overriding, that one completely ultimate focus in mind, and that focus that Jesus came with everything that he did on this earth was focused on this one thing, and therefore that one thing that all of us should have as our focus in everything we do on this earth, that one thing is, was, his own death and resurrection from the dead. And so our focus should be in everything, our own death, our own resurrection from the dead, and where we will spend eternity. That ought to be our focus in everything, where we will spend eternity. Leading up to and setting the stage for this, this morning's sermon, which is our third and final lesson in this little sermon mini-series entitled Four Funerals and your funeral. We have examined the three other funerals in the past two sermons that Jesus attended during his earthly ministry. We discussed his attendance at the funeral of the widow of Nain's only son in Luke 7. We discussed his attendance at the funeral of Jairus's daughter, only daughter, in Luke 8. And last week we talked about his attendance at the funeral of Mary and Martha's only brother, Lazarus, from John chapter 11. And did you notice, as we talked about those, whether you were at home listening or you were here, did you notice the progression? I didn't say anything about this prior to, but did you notice the progression? The first funeral that he attended, the widow of Nain's son, they didn't know him, he didn't know them. 
very early on in his ministry. He came and, and he, he raised up her son. The next funeral that Jesus attended, he was invited to that one, or he was invited to come to that man's house prior to the, the funeral for his little girl. And I, again, I use that term funeral as to encapsulize that entire end of life event. But that one, he was invited to come. Jairus came and sought him out. In the third funeral that we talked about, that was with somebody that he deeply loved, had this wonderful relationship with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. We talked about the love Jesus had for them last week. And so we see this progression. And I talked about at one point, I don't know if you caught it, the fact that Jesus, if we want him at our funeral, we need that relationship with him, that he's not going to show up. Funeral for somebody he doesn't know, as it were. And it may have been easy to go back and say, well, wait a minute, in that first one, that was somebody that didn't really know him. Yeah, but we see the progression. And we are up at the upper end of that progression. And, and we know from texts like Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23, that we have to have this personal relationship. We have to have this intimate, social, spiritual relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, or he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. So this morning, this is the one I've been waiting to get to. This morning, we're going to examine some of the incredibly, infinitely great, comforting, and encouraging truths that come out of, or that we can benefit from, as we talk about that other funeral that Jesus was at. The one he was best known for, actually, and that was his own. His own, and exactly what that means for us. Because what that means for us is, I believe, beyond not only our comprehension a lot of days, but we lose focus of, of the magnitude of what his funeral means for us. Let us begin by trying to come to grips with and understanding a statement that I made earlier. When I began this lesson, I said that everything Jesus Christ came to this earth to do was done with but one overriding and ultimate focus in mind. And that focus was his own death and resurrection from the dead. And what that would mean for you and me. What that would mean for his disciples. That was the thing. He didn't just come to die. But he had that in mind always because of what it would mean to you. Because of what you and I are here to celebrate this morning. Because of what you are celebrating this morning. That was the focus. That was the purpose. I want to pick up this morning by having you turn to the gospel according to John. I want to pick up right after where we left off last week. Last week with Jesus raising a four days dead Lazarus in John chapter 11. Right after that event in John chapter 11, if we were to look in John chapter 12 verses 1 through 11, we would see therein that Jesus attended a supper in the, house of, in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. That was that Saturday evening. If we were to continue to read on in the Gospel according to John chapter 12, we would find out that the next day after that feast, after that supper, I should say, we see that he entered the city amidst a lot of fanfare for the feast he was about to celebrate. That's John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. 
And it was at that time with all of this fanfare as, as Jesus comes into the city, there were, there were all kinds of folks, if you read that text, that were bearing witness what he had done to Lazarus. They knew what he had done in raising Lazarus. I mean, come on, folks, somebody raised the dead. That's, that's going to get around, right? Even if you don't have the internet, right? That's going to get around. That's big news. Everybody knew Lazarus was dead, and here he is. And so there's, there's fanfare, and there's all this stuff going on. There's pilgrims arriving. There's crowds forming. There's festivities beginning. This big feast is about to happen. And these Greeks show up, and they want to see Jesus. Now, don't miss the fact that at this point with his popularity going up, he'd raised a dead man. It wasn't the first time. But with all of this going on here just before the feast, Jesus could have had a lot of people just put him on this, this earthly platform and these Greeks come to see him. But, but you see, no matter what they wanted to see him for, that didn't matter to the soon-to-be-martyred Jesus because Jesus had one thing in mind. The only thing that was on Jesus' mind was not earthly accolades or these people that wanted to see him, but his own death, his resurrection from the dead, and what that would mean to his disciples. That was his focus. Follow along with me in John chapter 12, beginning of verse 20. You'll see this. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to, the, to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came, told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. Now, at this point, if Jesus was seeking earthly fame or fortune, or if he was, you know, trying to be popular amongst the crowds, oh, great, this whole group's shown up here amidst all these festivities, they want to see, but Jesus doesn't care. That's not his focus. His focus is on his own impending death, resurrection, and what it would mean to his disciples. Look what he says. Andrew and Philip come and say, hey, these guys want to see you. But Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Didn't Jesus love those Greek people that came up to see him? Sure he did. Didn't what, wasn't what, I can say this, wasn't what they wanted, there we go, wasn't what they wanted important to him? Well, sure it was. But nothing on earth was as important to him as his own death, resurrection, and what that resurrection would mean. He said, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone, see, his focus is on them. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now... My soul is troubled. You've had those days, right? Jesus knows what that's like. Now he says, my soul is troubled. What, what shall I say? What am I going to do about this? I'm, I'm in this situation. This, I know what's coming. It's this terrible situation. I'm troubled right to the depths of my soul. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Cry out to God and say, God, I can't do this. It's too painful. I'm not going to. No. Because Jesus had already stated words to the effect here in verses 23 through 26 
He knew what he was going to do. He knew what his death and his resurrection, 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 don't forget that resurrection would mean to those he loves so much, and that includes you and I. Shall I cry out, Father, save me for this, from this hour? But for this, watch this, I got mine highlighted in my Bible. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. What's he saying? Hey, this is the whole reason I'm here. It was for this very purpose and what I'm about to go through. That's why I came. This was the purpose of God for Jesus since before time began. Acts 2, verses 23 and 4, 2 Timothy 1, 9. This had always been the plan. This has always been Jesus' focus. But you know, although Jesus' ultimate focus had always been on the events surrounding his death, burial, and resurrection, Despite his repeated efforts to get his disciples, and, and, and that, we need to put ourselves in that category as well, where his disciples were just not his disciples there then. But despite his repeated efforts to, all, to get his first century disciples to have that as their only focus, that is his death, burial, and resurrection, he just could not seem to get them, to get their minds off of earthly things, and locked in and focused upon that which was so important to him, that which was his ultimate focus and should have been theirs. How many times did Jesus tried to do that? And they just couldn't, they just didn't. They, they just, it didn't seem to compute. Let me give you some examples. Go back with me in your Bibles. And keep your finger here, we'll be back to John. Go back to Mark 8. It's interesting. In three consecutive chapters of Mark, we see this. We see that they, they just couldn't seem to get their minds wrapped around his death and resurrection. And, and I think sometimes today we can't either. Not in its fullness, not how it should be our only focus, our ultimate focus in everything we do. Mark 8, Mark 9, and Mark 10, we see this everywhere. And an easy way to remember this is that verse 32 is key in all of them. But Mark 8, look at verses 31 through 33. Mark 8, 31 through 33. He began to teach them the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days, don't miss this wording, rise again. He wanted them to understand that. He spoke this word openly. He's trying to get across to them, yes, I'm going to die, yes, I'm going to be buried, but the power's in the resurrection. The resurrection is what counts. You've got to understand this. He spoke this word openly, but then Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. What's his point? Peter, you've you got to understand. God's plan has always been this. It's always been my plan. I've always known this was coming. This is God's plan. It's been God's plan from the beginning. These are the things of God that I go through this because of the resurrection. But Peter didn't get it. Look in Mark 9, verses 31 and 2. Here we go again. He taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. After he is killed, he'll rise the third day. This is the second time he's told them in the Gospel of Mark, two consecutive chapters, I'm going to raise from the dead. He's going to rise, he says. 
But look at the next verse. They didn't understand it. They didn't get it. They did not comprehend not only what was going to happen, but certainly not being able to comprehend what was going to happen, they didn't comprehend what it was going to mean to them. They couldn't get to step one, let alone step three. Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 32. Mark 8, 9, and 10, verse 32 is key to all of them. Mark 10, 32 through 34, look what it says. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem. Jesus was going before them. They were amazed. As they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the 12 aside again. Here you go, boys, third time. Began to tell them the things that would happen to him. He said, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes. They'll condemn him to death, deliver him to the Gentiles. They'll mock him, scourge him, spit on him, and kill him. Aren't you glad that verse doesn't stop right there? Aren't you glad that verse doesn't stop right there? Kill him, that's it, it's over, it's done. Doesn't stop there, does it? Look what he says. And the third day, third time he's told them in three consecutive chapters, he will rise again. That's, that's what Paul's talking about in Philippians 3 where he talks about the power of his resurrection. Jesus is going to be, he says, I'm going to rise again. Now it's obvious that they don't get it because if we were to read on verses 35 and following, they're looking for places beside him in an earthly kingdom. They haven't got a clue what he just said. And what this has to do with us is I'm not sure. Even though we celebrated on the first day of the week, I'm not sure as, as we fully comprehend what it means and keep it as our ultimate focus, what it means that when we die, when we physically die, we're going to be resurrected. We're going to have eternal life. Does that hit you every day in everything you do? It ought to. That's what he's trying to get them. That was his ultimate focus. People want to come see him. He says, no, I, I, this is it. He's been trying to get them. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. Same thing. This is going to happen. It's all about rising again. And I, I think sometimes when we take of communion, we should absolutely, and we do, focus on Jesus' agony. Absolutely. We focus on him on that cross with blood running down, bleeding out for us. Love the prayer this morning, and, and typically when men get up here and pray, we focus on you know, the thorns and the blood and the terrible, terrible thing. But I'm here to tell you this morning, that's not the whole story. If the whole story is a brutal death, there's a lot of people that have died a brutal death. That ain't the whole story. The rest of the story is, I will rise from the dead. That's the rest of that story. And when we, when we Look at communion, and I'm getting ahead of the punchline of my sermon here this morning, but I, I'm just so excited about this. The, the whole thing is resurrection. Yes, he died a horrible death. Yes, that's what he came for. Yes, he always had it in mind. But he never left out the fact that he had to die in order to what? Be resurrected. That's the point. Anybody can die, but not just anybody can raise themselves from the dead or be raised from the dead. Before I get too far ahead, let me leave it at that. Look what the apostle, we've talked about Mark. Look what the apostle John adds in John 10. Getting us back to the gospel according to John. Look at John chapter 10. Around this same time, intermingled within this same time, John gives us another thing that Jesus said. John 10 verses 17 through 20, look at it. Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life 
that I may take it up again. The story of Jesus is not just about a brutal death. It's about a beautiful resurrection. He said, I've got to lose it in order to take it up. You can't take it up again if you don't lose it. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. What a wonderful Savior we have in Christ. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This command I received from my Father. The most incredible funeral that Jesus ever attended, quote unquote, was his own, because even then he had the power himself to be resurrected to resurrect himself. And so, having proven our point that Jesus always had this at the forefront of his thoughts or as his ultimate focus, very shortly after this Saturday evening supper and Sunday entry into Jerusalem when the Greeks requested to see him, but he was consumed with his death, burial, and resurrection in John 11 and 12, shortly thereafter, we see him Thursday evening, gathered together with his disciples, seeking to explain to them how critically important it was for them to have that as their ultimate focus. For them to have as the ultimate focus in everything they did, the fact that death wasn't the end, that it was all about resurrection, how critically important it was for them to be focused on his as well as their own funerals. Look what he says in John 14. One of the most beautiful passages, I believe, in the scriptures. Personal opinion, but I've told you it's my opinion, so there you go. What's Jesus trying to get them focused on the night before he leaves? Look at this. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I would have made it known to you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, then I will come again. And I will take you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. See what Jesus is trying to get him to do? Yeah, they're going to have some real problems here in the next few days. But Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled over those things. There's something more important here. Your ultimate focus in everything has got to be this. I'm going away, but I'm coming back. And when I come back, I'll get you. I'm going to go prepare a place for you, but I'm coming back and get you. Isn't it awesome to know that God's coming back for you? Isn't that awesome? If that's not what you're here for this morning, why are you here? Right? You, it, it, why are you watching this video if that doesn't apply to you? And I want you to look in chapter 14, in verses 18 through 20. This is the centerpiece of this entire sermon series. This is what I've been waiting to get to. Verses 18 through 20. I know it's spoken to them that night, but by extension, it, it applies to us as well. Jesus said to them, that night, I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you 
will live also. Don't miss how that applies to you. Jesus is telling them he's about to die. He's going to die. But he said, you know what? That's not the end. You're going to see me again, telling them. You're going to see me again. And you know what? Because I live, because I've beaten death, you're going to live too. Because I'm going to go through this and I'm going to beat it. Death has no power over me. And I'm going to prove it to you by going through it, raising myself up. And when you see me again, he told his disciples, because I live, because of what I've accomplished on the cross, because I've been raised, that's a promise to you that you're going to be too. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. Because I live. Because you're going to see me die. Because you're going to see me again. That's your guarantee. You see, there's so many things. We could spend the whole worship service on just communion. But here's something else to think about during communion. Expand your horizons a little bit. Yes, always focus on Christ and what he suffered. Absolutely, do this in remembrance of him. I'm not denying that. Yes, that's true. But there's so much more of a promise sometimes than we, when, than we pause to think about during communion. Yes, it's a horrible death. But the good news is, he was raised up and they saw him. That's the good. And you know what else the good news is when we celebrate communion? Because he was raised up, we have a guarantee from him that if we follow him, we're going to be raised too. This is all about Jesus and what he did. But because he lives, we sing the song, because he lives. Because he showed them. That's our guarantee of eternal life. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul, I believe, was talking about when he referred in Philippians chapter three to how everything else was nothing but rubbish and garbage in comparison to truly knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection being conformed to his death so that one might also attain to the resurrection from the dead. That's the whole purpose Jesus came. That's it. In a nutshell, that's it. That was the entire focus of his entire mission, of his entire reason for coming to earth in the first place, to destroy the hold, to destroy the fear, to destroy the power that death had held over everybody by his own personally overcoming it himself. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. He says this. This is not rocket science. This is scripture. It's so much simpler to understand and yet so much pow more powerful. Hebrews, I love the power of this text. Hebrews 2, he came to destroy the power of death. But we see Jesus, Hebrews 2, 9, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. That's why he was made lower than the angels. That's why he emptied himself of equality with God was so that he could actually suffer death. We see Jesus, Hebrews 2.9, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste of death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom all 
for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, that's you and me, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Look in verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, watch this, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death, that's you and me, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. This church thing, not a game. It's not a social event. It's not an entertainment event. It's none of those things. This church thing, this coming to worship, I mean no irreverence whatsoever. This coming to worship thing has always been, always is, and always must be about one thing and one thing only. And that is that God in the flesh came to this earth to destroy the power of death over you and me. And he gave his only begotten son who would come to this earth, who would live, who would die, who always had the cross in mind, who always understood what was going to be. He came to this earth to taste the death for you and I to come back and beat it and say, because I live after that, you too shall live. What an awesome God. That's what worship's all about. But despite all that Jesus said, and all that Jesus taught, and all that he sought to get through to his first century disciples regarding his impending death, burial, and resurrection, despite the fact that the day he died, there was darkness over the land for three hours. The veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth shook and it quaked to the point that battle-hardened Roman soldiers feared greatly and realized who he was, Matthew 27, 45 through 54. Despite all of that, his disciples still didn't get it. They didn't come to understand the ultimate focus, the magnitude of what had happened to both him at and after his funeral and therefore would by extension happen to both them and theirs if they followed him from there. They still didn't get it. We, we look at them sometimes and we say, why didn't you boys get it? I mean, after all you saw, how could you miss that? After all we read sometimes, how do we not get it too? How do we not make that our ultimate focus in everything? Look, I'll prove to you that they didn't look in Mark. Chapter 16. It's amazing. <laughs> but they were just like us. Mark chapter 16. Look at verses 9 through 11. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they didn't believe it. How many times had he told them, I'm going to rise? They didn't believe it. There's a parallel to this, a lot greater detail in John chapter 20, 
verses 1 through 9. And keep your finger right here in Mark. We're coming right back here. But John chapter 20, if you would, please. Look at the parallel account, if you will, from John. Chapter 20, verses 1 through 9. The first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb, she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and they were going to the tomb so they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he stooping down looking in saw the linen claws lying there but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, went into the tomb, good old Simon Peter, right? <laughs> first through the door. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head not lying with the linen cloths but folded together in a place by itself. And then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Did you see that? They didn't yet know the scripture that he must rise from the dead. What did we go over in Mark those three chapters, what did we go over? Every time Jesus told them he was going to die, what did he tell them he was going to do? And on the third day he said, I will be raised. Weren't they listening? How could they not understand that was going to happen? He told them at least three times. How is it sometimes in our lives when Jesus tells us that ought to be the focus of everything we do? as we read through the scriptures, and yet, sometimes we can go days on end. We can go through events in our lives without having the ultimate focus and goal, the ultimate focus in mind, our death and resurrection and where we're gonna spend eternity. We're not a whole lot different than they were. Mark chapter 16, continuing. We just read in verses 9 through 11 where, you know what? He appeared to Mary Magdalene and she went and told him they didn't believe it. But it doesn't stop there. They still don't after that. Look at verse 12. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they didn't believe them either. <laughs> How many times? They didn't believe them either. Parallel account of this is given in much greater detail for those taking notes in Luke 24, 13 through 35. Moving on to Mark 16 and verse 14. Later he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. This event as well is detailed or is explained in much greater detail in John 20, 26 through 29. Even after they're seeing him raise at least three others from the dead, or three that we have a record of anyway, and even after the numerous times he told them about his own resurrection and how by extension it guaranteed theirs, they were still incredibly slow of heart and mind. Incredibly slow to make that the focus of their life. Now, eventually they did because of what Jesus showed them. Look at what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15. Yeah, after he was resurrected and he spent some time with them, it became pretty clear what was going on. And they did eventually make it the focus of their lives because of the resurrected Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, 
1 through 8. Moreover, brethren, Paul wrote to the church of Christ in first century Corinth. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Aren't you grateful this morning? The verse doesn't stop there. The only point of the death was so that he could resurrect himself and break the chains of fear, of eternal death, of death itself. That's the whole point, and the, the verse doesn't stop there. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Not only did he rise again, but Paul goes on to say he was seen by Cephas, then by the 12, after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. That's a few had died since then. After that, he was seen by James and then by all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. Jesus didn't just say, hey, I'm going to rise again and that's going to be that and not show himself to anybody. They saw him. When you read a history book, how do you know that Abraham Lincoln actually lived? You didn't see him. How do you know he was here? How do you know that any of these people past ages, how do you know they lived? How many of you believe that George Washington was a real person? If you don't raise your hand, we need to talk to some of the history teachers here later, okay? You didn't see him. Why do you believe it? Well, you believe it because those at that time wrote about him and it was passed on and, and history is, is written down. That's why, you know what? You know why I believe in Jesus? There was a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is because I believe in the resurrection is because there were real people that really saw him after his resurrection. We have eyewitness accounts recorded for us. And because he lives, because he lives, because he beat death, because death had no hold on him, for those who are his, same thing's gonna happen to us, isn't that awesome? Look at the, we, we've looked at the first few verses of 1 Corinthians 15, let's look at the last few. Because of what happened in the first few, the last few are possible. 1 Corinthians 15, very familiar passage, beginning at verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall be all changed, shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible and will be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality, so when this corruptible is put on incorruption, this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, Hades, where's your victory? It's almost like two little kids, one of them taunting one another because they took the toy and it, hey, death, where's your sting now? Where's your victory now? Jesus beat you good. The sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. victory over, the victory over death, that's what he's been talking about the whole chapter. 
Not just a victory in our daily life, not just some victory over death is what he's talking about. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That should be our ultimate focus in everything. Jesus Christ lived to die. Jesus Christ lived his life with his death as his ultimate focus. Jesus Christ lived his life in preparation for his death. He lived his life to fulfill God's purpose so that when he died, he could live in God's presence. And so the question is, do we really understand what his resurrection means for you and I? Do we really get it? Do we really understand that we must live to die? That is, in the sense of never losing sight of the end of this life. We must live our lives following in his footsteps in such a way as to fulfill God's purpose so that when we die, we too will live in God's presence, the same as Jesus. Do you want the Lord Jesus Christ to be there for you at your death and your funeral and your burial as savior, friend, and redeemer or not? Do you want him to be there as your advocate? Do you want him to be there as your sacrifice, your lawyer? On that day you stand before God for judgment. With heaven and hell hanging in the balance, when it only takes just one sin to make the difference on your record between heaven and hell. Do you want him there? Because if you do, then that means developing an intimate spiritual relationship with him while you're here. People are not going to just pass Jesus off their whole life and then hope and expect that at their funeral, automatically, instantaneously, their relationship with him is going to change. You build the relationship now that will make all the difference then. You live for him now so that after you die, he is with you still. That's how this works. Our life is nothing but a choice to decide whether or not we're going to have a relationship with Jesus Christ that saves us from paying the price for our sins. That's what your entire life comes down to. That's what my life comes down to. That's really the purpose. The only way you let Jesus know that you want him there with you because of who he is and what he did for you is to show him by your loyalty and obedience right now because of who he is and what he did for you, that you are willing to put that old man of sin to death. You're willing to say, you know what? I'm not living like this anymore. I'm putting that old man of sin to death. You know, 
the Bible in Revelation talks about the second death. And basically what it comes down to is this. There's an old saying, you can live once and die twice, or you can die once and live twice. Think about that. You can live once and die twice. What that means is, and that's obviously not in Revelation, that's a man-made summation, but what that means is this. You can live your whole life, this life. You can go through your whole life living for you. Live once. Die twice. What does that mean? It means you're going to die physically. And then you'll face death in a sense of separation from God for all eternity. Live once. Live for yourself. Die twice. Die physically. Die to eternity with God. Or you can die once and live twice. What does that mean? That means if you're willing to put that old man of sin to death in the waters of Christian baptism, you have lived some, but you put that old man of sin to death, that means that when you rise up to walk in newness of life with your sins forgiven, you don't have to worry about death evermore. Now, will you experience physical death? Well, sure you will if the Lord don't come back. But the thing is, is the second that you take your last breath, you know you're saved. And all that means for you. Isn't that awesome? I want that. That's what that means. I don't have to worry about death if I'm a Christian because my sins are gone. My advocate's going to be there on judgment day with heaven and hell hanging in the balance because I've been baptized into Christ. I've had my sins forgiven. I've had my slate wiped clean. And I've risen up to walk with him, to live with him, to develop this intimate spiritual relationship with him so that when I take my last breath, my best friend, my savior, and my redeemer is right there to take me home. Isn't that what you want? Over such people, the second death has no power. This morning, if you want to know Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection in order that you might attain to the resurrection from the dead, would you come forward in just a minute and put that old man of sin to death in the waters of Christian baptism, leaving that old man of sin literally dead in the water? while you rise up to walk in newness of life, developing your relationship with Jesus Christ so that death has no fear for you. All you're doing is going to be live somewhere else with the Lord instead of here with the Lord you've been living with. If you'd come forward to be baptized into Christ, we'd love to do that this morning. Maybe you're a Christian this morning who's done all that, but you never really realized the full implications. Maybe you need the prayers of the church for strength to better realize that the ultimate focus in everything you, need, everything you do needs to be with a thought in mind of your own death and your own resurrection and where you will spend eternity. To have that be more emblazoned on your hard drive in order that you might live stronger for the one you love and who loved you so much he gave himself for you. If you have a need this morning, please come to the front as we stand and sing.